And tonight we're going to look uh, just really at the first line in uh, verse 10 of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Your Kingdom Come. Uh, Last time when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, uh, we looked at the phrase, Hallowed be your name. And when we said that, we talked about our priorities as God's people. And we said that when we pray, uh, often our priorities are the wrong, wrong, way, round, wrong way round. We uh, tend to uh, begin with our own, uh, perhaps our selfish uh, desires and longings, and are always praying perhaps for our families or for uh, our day ahead or all those things. And they're good things to pray for. Uh, never think that it's a bad thing. It's, a, it's the right thing that we pray for our families. But in the Lord's Prayer, we see that if that's all that you pray for, if you only pray for things for yourself, then your prayer priorities are not in the right order. For in the Lord's Prayer, we see that the priority of prayer is God's uh, priorities first. God first. And we see that through the scriptures anyway with verses like in, in the Psalms where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if we're praying for our own desires, if we delight in the Lord, then our desires will be the Lord's desires and we'll pray in, in, for the right things in the correct way. And the challenge I gave last time, and I, I, I give it again because we're in the same kind of section, is what is your priorities? When you come to pray... What do you pray for? And we see here in the Lord's Prayer that we pray to our Father in heaven. We pray for his name uh, to be hallowed. And then we come to your kingdom come. And when we talked about God's name being hallowed, we said that it is to be treated as completely other, completely unique, because God is completely holy and worthy of our praise. His name is the description of who he is. And so how is God's name hallowed? Well, we see it, first of all, here through your kingdom come. When the kingdom comes, the name of God is hallowed. So you can see the logical order through the Lord's Prayer. Only those who are part of God's kingdom can hallow God's name. If we are rejecting God as king, we are obviously not hallowing his name. And so we pray, your kingdom come. God's name is hallowed by the coming of the kingdom. And so we pray, your kingdom come. And we know we have to pray this because when you look around the world, we know that God's name is so often not hallowed. And we know that this is the case because the Bible says that there is another kingdom. The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of Satan which seeks to cause people not to hallow God's name. And so we pray to God, your kingdom come, because there is a war against the kingdom of darkness, which we know, as we'll see, that God's kingdom will rule over, but we see the influence of that kingdom of darkness all around us, and so we pray, your kingdom, O Lord, your kingdom come. And when we're praying this, we're asking God then to destroy the kingdom of Satan, and to bring his kingdom to pass. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? Because like most of these petitions in the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure most of us know this and have prayed this, but do we know what it means? 
So we're going to, in order to understand this, we're going to look at two important points. First of all, we're going to look at what is the kingdom? What is it we're asking uh, God to send? What is it we're asking to come? And then secondly, how does the kingdom come? Because I think the kingdom, as a phrase, can be very confusing. So I think it's important, first of all, that we look at what is the kingdom. And I think it's helpful to start with a definition, and one that I found very helpful was in a book uh, called Gospel and Kingdom by Graham Goldsworthy, and he said this is a definition of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So let's unpack what that means. What is the kingdom? Well, first of all, uh, God does rule over all of the earth. But not all the people on the earth are part of God's kingdom. Even though God rules over everybody by his sovereign will, which we'll look at next week, he does have a people that are part of his kingdom. And Jesus speaks in many parables about people being in or out of the kingdom. In Matthew 22, that's one example, we're not going to read it, but there's the parable of the wedding banquet. And everyone is invited, but not everyone comes in. And it's an illustration of the kingdom. Not everyone comes into the kingdom. So it's God's people are part of God's kingdom. So the kingdom is God's people. It's also God's place. God does rule over all of the universe, every part of it. God even sustains everything by the word of his power. And God is omnipresent. But that doesn't mean that everywhere is a place of God. In the Bible, God dwells with his people in specific places, uh, such as the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple. And in the New Testament, we see God ruling in the church, the people of God. God always rules over his people in a specific place. Not always geographical, such as the church, but sometimes geographical, such as Canaan, and eventually in the new heavens and earth. So the kingdom is God's people in God's place. Now, as we said, all people are under God's uh, sovereign will and sovereign power. Nothing happens that God doesn't know about and that God is not in absolute control of. But there are many that reject God as king and therefore do not live under his rule and blessing. Those who are his people in his kingdom live under his rule and blessing. And his rule and blessing, we would say, is his word and his spirit living through us. So if we live under his rule and his blessing, but we are obedient to the scriptures uh, and we have the blessing of the spirit living in community of God's people, we have... We are part of the kingdom under his rule and blessing. So the kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And although the, king, the phrase, the kingdom of God, is never in the Old Testament as that phrase, the kingdom of God is all through the Bible. And I just want to point out one book which deals with it in a lot more detail than we will deal with it tonight. This is a book called God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts. And it's really good at taking you through the Bible and how God's kingdom uh, goes from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end of Revelation. 
It talks about different aspects of it. It's really helpful, and we're going to touch on it tonight in a, in a minute, but this is more detail than what we can go through. So if you want me to get you a copy, uh, let me know at the end, and I can do that. If you want to borrow this copy, as long as I get it back at some point, um, I would be willing to lend you it. Uh, but it's called God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts. It's really good. So I recommend uh, that book to you. But just briefly about God's kingdom being throughout the Bible, as in we're looking at what is the kingdom. In the beginning of the Bible, God has a kingdom. He has a kingdom in the Garden of Eden. God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. God's people were Adam and Eve. God's place is the Garden of Eden. And his rule and blessing was his word, do not eat from the tree, and his, uh, his presence walking with them in the garden. That was the beginning. But we know that Adam and Eve rejected God as king. They ate from the tree that they were not supposed to eat. They rejected God as king. They disobeyed his rule. And so they were out of the Garden of Eden. They were, they were out. They were under God's curse. And we still suffer the effects of that today. And then in Genesis chapters 3 to 11, we see a deterioration in mankind. There's glimpses of hope in people like Enoch and Noah, but the general trajectory trajectory of mankind was downwards. Until we get to Abraham, where God makes a promise. He promises Abraham uh, a great nation. He promises Abraham a land, and he promises him that his family will be a blessing to all nations. And the rest of the Old Testament is God plan, God's plans to restore the kingdom again. To restore his people in his place under his rule and blessing. So it's promised to Abraham. We see it foreshadowed and pictured and partially fulfilled in things like the law, in the conquest into the land of Canaan, especially in the kingdom of David. That's a great foreshadowing of God's kingdom. And in the kingdom of Solomon, where uh, we see people from other nations coming and receiving the blessings of Solomon's wisdom, the blessings of Solomon's uh, kingdom, of God's kingdom foreshadowed in him. But the kingdom was only partial because the kingdom went wrong. And it went wrong because the kings and the people disobeyed God. And eventually, when Nebuchadnezzar came, they were out of the place again, not under his rule and blessing. And so at this time in the Old Testament, prophets came and they spoke of the kingdom to come with a greater king than David and Solomon. And the Old Old Testament people were looking forward to this king. We see it in places like 2 Samuel chapter 7. King David was promised a king in a kingdom that would never end. Another good place to look at, perhaps because we've been looking at it in Sunday school, is Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. A strange dream, he sees a statue with a gold head, uh, with silver uh, chest and arms, with bronze legs and feet of iron and clay. All different nations, kingdoms of the world. But then a rock comes out that, that is not of human hands and comes and destroys all the kingdoms of the world and rules forever. That's the kingdom of God. That's what they were looking forward to throughout the whole of the Old Testament. When we looked at a, a, a Bible overview in Discoverers, we summarize the Old Testament as this, Jesus is coming. And that's a good summary, Jesus is coming. And then we get to the New Testament, and in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, we see Jesus, and he says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. 
repent and believe the good news. And God's kingdom was near because the king had come to establish the kingdom. And we saw what God's kingdom was like through his, his miracles. He showed how it was a place uh, without sin, without sickness, without death. For he was forgiving sins. He was healing sickness. He was raising the dead. It was coming. And it was established through his death and resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He gave us his righteousness so we can be part of his kingdom. We looked at that when we said about our Father in heaven. We're children of God. And as children of God, we are part of a family of God where God is our Father, but also that family is a part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom of God when we have our sins forgiven, when Christ has paid for our sin, and we follow him as our king. So the kingdom is, is here in that sense now, but we know the job is not yet complete, for there is a delay. For Jesus has gone to heaven, and there's a period of time where we're proclaiming the kingdom, we're calling people to come and be forgiven of their sins and follow Jesus as their king. And when Jesus returns, at that time, that proclaimed kingdom will have finished and people from every tribe, tongue and nation will come and be gathered together and it will be a con- the consummation of the kingdom will be when Jesus returns and takes us to be with him forever. We'll be resurrected, have new bodies, being in a physical kingdom, in a physical place, dwelling with God for eternity. That's where the kingdom will be. That's what is not here yet. So the kingdom is, is here now, but it's not here yet. It's here now in that God has a place. He dwells within the church. And when we, we, when we look at the church, we should see what the kingdom of God is like. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? For we read of what the kingdom of God is like in the scriptures That's what we should be like as a church. So God has a people, the church, the worldwide church, of which if we are uh, his children, we're part of. God has a place. He dwells within the people of the church. And the church are under his rule and his blessing. So the kingdom of God is here now spiritually. God lives and rules in the hearts of his people, the church, who are all over the world. And this is a, it's a big kingdom, isn't it? God's kingdom is massive. Sometimes uh, we can come to our church in Pelsall and we can think, this is it. But brothers and sisters, we have uh, brothers and sisters all over the world. God's kingdom is a big kingdom. And it's great when we can meet people from the kingdom, from all over the world, who worship the same king as we do. But the kingdom of God is also... Not yet. Because there is a, a time where we are waiting for Jesus to return. And when he returns, God's people, believers from all ages, will dwell in God's place in the new heavens and earth, where we'll be with the risen Jesus, sinless, in perfect paradise for eternity. So the kingdom is here, but it's not, it's not there, is it? It's here, but it's not yet here. We're waiting for the consummation. And when we, want to, when, we, when we ask the question, what's the kingdom like? Jesus is qualified to describe it, for he is the king of the kingdom. And Jesus spoke parables, didn't he? Often beginning with, the kingdom of God is like. And so the parable of the sower describes how we enter it through obedience to the message of the king. 
It's described as something opposed by Satan in the parable of the weeds. And so we learn that the kingdom of God living in it, at least now, is hard work and faces opposition. It's described as something of immeasurable value in parables such as the the treasure and, and the pearl of great price. It's described as something which we may think is small and even starts off small but grows in the parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of the talents talks how we are rewarded in God's kingdom. And the parable of the virgins tells us how we are to be ready for God's kingdom to come in its fullness. Jesus described his kingdom as not of this world in John chapter 18 and verse 36. We can genuinely say when we talk of God's kingdom that it is out of this world. It really is. God's kingdom is not of this world. It's out of this world. And therefore its citizens should not live like everybody else in the world. We should be different because we are citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world. Paul, uh, the apostle, described the kingdom of God in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Now we could say more about God's kingdom because it's all through the scriptures, but I hope that gives you an idea before we go on to how we pray this, what God's kingdom is. For many people are confused, I think, on what God's kingdom is, but it's God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. So how do we pray God's kingdom come? How does God's kingdom come? What does an answer to that prayer look like? And that's the second point. How does God's kingdom come? Now, as a general definition of this, I would say this. God's kingdom comes when people bow the knee to King Jesus. God's kingdom comes when people bow the knee to King Jesus. That's when God's kingdom comes. That means that Contrary to what um, we, we hear so often, God's kingdom does not come through societal renewal, through things getting better on earth. Now, we need to be very careful with this because good deeds are good. But as good as good deeds are, unless they result in people bowing the knee to Jesus, they're good deeds, but they're not God's kingdom coming. There's a difference. God's kingdom can influence the world through good deeds, people in God's kingdom, but that doesn't mean God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom comes when people bow the knee to King Jesus. So I'm not saying don't do good deeds. I'm just saying that that doesn't mean God's kingdom has come. Social work is good, really good. Christians should be involved in that. But the priority for us should always be the eternal souls of people that are destined outside of God's kingdom in hell. That's the priority. And as a church, we support missions that do great social work, but as a way of reaching people with the gospel. So we had recently the Albanian Evangelical Mission 
came. They do amazing work with uh, orphan children and, and children that have gone through abuse. And they do great work uh, planting churches and helping people in poverty. But their focus is the gospel. They're an evangelical mission. They preach the gospel. Their priority is that people bow the knee to King Jesus. Throughout church history, in the evangelical church, we've had people like William Wilberforce abolishing the slave trade. And George Muller and Charles Spurgeon working with the orphans, but they never lost the focus on the eternal souls of those people. Their focus was that they could bow the knee to King Jesus. So what is uh, God's kingdom coming? So we know it's not just earthly uh, things getting better on earth. What is it? Well, first of all, in praying God's kingdom comes... We are praying that his rule and blessing grows in the hearts of his people. That's the first thing. His rule and his blessing grow in the hearts of his people. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Paul was writing this in the time of the Roman Empire, and Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, that didn't mean he lived in Rome. He didn't live in in Rome um, for most of his life, it seems. He was away from Rome, but he was a citizen of Rome. And just because you're a citizen of somewhere, it doesn't mean you have to live there. We are citizens of heaven. We don't live there now, but as a citizen of heaven, we are to live as citizens of heaven. So a citizen of Rome was expected to promote uh, the glory of Rome wherever they went. A citizen of heaven is expected to uh, promote the glory of God, hallowing his name wherever we go. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, first of all we're praying that it would come and impact our own hearts. The hearts of God's people. And this means that we would grow in our obedience to his word, but that we would delight in doing so. And so that obedience to God's word would be natural for us. Often, uh, when I, the, there's some scriptures I read, and it is not natural for me to do that. It's not natural. Not just things like, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss, but other things. Uh, it's, it's hard, isn't it, to obey? Some things, as we grow, become more natural. We pray for God's kingdom to come so that his rule would be more in our hearts and his blessing would be more in our hearts as we obey his word. Um, As a a British uh, man, uh, when I go abroad, uh, often British tourists, uh, I find uh, that we are notorious for going abroad. Because not only do we never be able to, seem to be able to speak another language other than our own or their language with a really uh, dodgy accent or something like that, but, we, but British tourists are known for when they go abroad to always still eat fish and chips and try and find places where they serve warm beer. When I went, we went to holiday to Turkey, there, you know, the, we, we, I wanted to try the culture of of Turkey and t- taste apple tea and kebabs and Turkish delight. But everywhere where we were staying, there was British pubs, fish and chip shops, and all sorts of things that had nothing to do with Turkey whatsoever because they're catering for the British. And we're notorious for that abroad. It's not necessarily a good thing. And whenever I go abroad, 
People know where I'm from. We went to a holiday to France last year, and even when I spoke French, they started speaking to me in English. But do people know where you're from as a heavenly citizen? Are you notorious at work, not in a negative way, but in a way that they know there's something about that person? There is something about them. They are not from this world. It's a challenge, isn't it? As heavenly citizens... While we are abroad, which we are, the Bible describes us as aliens and strangers, we should be different, shouldn't we? I'm not saying that we should not engage with our culture, but we should be different. We should be salt and light. And we should delight, just like the British do abroad, in the home comforts. And that's what we should find in the church. The home comforts of being with like-minded people who love the same God we love with coming to the word of our king and having a taste of home as we read of him and as we hear from him, of spending time in his presence. We should love those times because that should be a taste of home. So God's kingdom comes when those things are more in our lives. A.W. Pink talks of how when we we pray this, we pray that God would wean us more and more off from the perishing things of this world. That he would wean us more and more off the perishing things of this world. We can hold on to things that are just perishing, things that are, are just sometimes not good for us. We should be weaning ourselves off those things. I remember when I was first a believer, when I was growing up, we didn't have much restriction and it's not a, not a good thing. We didn't have much restriction on what I was allowed to watch on uh, videos and things like that. So I grew up watching films with swearing in them uh, and all sorts of things all through my teenage years. And even as I became a Christian, uh, those things at first didn't bother me too much. It was, I was used to it. But as I grew as a Christian, those things bothered me more and more. And now I feel... I, it, it really makes me, oh, I just don't like to hear it. You know, that's, that I, I pray that that would be the case for more things in my life, that God would wean me off those perishing things. And I pray that for, for all of you as, we go, as I go through the prayer diary, that God would, would bring his kingdom more into each of our lives, that we'd, we'd love the things of heaven. That's God's kingdom coming into our, into our hearts. When we see Christians growing in their faith in King Jesus through obedience to his word, God's kingdom comes. So let's pray for one another in this way. Let's go through the prayer diary and pray for one another that God's kingdom would come through obedience to his word. Let's pray for our families, for the missionaries we support. Let's pray that we would love Jesus more, that his kingdom would come more into our hearts. The second way God's kingdom comes is through the conversion of rebels into the kingdom. The conversion of rebels into the kingdom. But before we talk about this, I want to mention why I put this second. Because we pray for revival, perhaps sometimes, and we pray for God's kingdom to come, and we mean, Lord, would you save people? Would you bring people into your kingdom? Would we see our church grow? And that's a good prayer, except so often what we mean is, Lord, I want revival because, Lord, I want you to work because I don't want to go and speak to anyone about Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, 
Do we often pray for revival and really mean that? God, I want you to do something because I don't want to. That's a real challenge. That was a challenge to me when I was praying and thinking over this. That when I pray for God to save people, am I willing to be the one that God sends to go to them? Because when we pray for God's kingdom to come, God begins with his church. And so we need to pray that God would begin with us, that we would be dedicated to prayer for the lost. Not just being apathetic and not bothering, but we really are dedicated to pray for them. When we pray God's kingdom to come, we want to pray that we would have a zeal for talking to unbelievers about Jesus. Not just expecting God to do a miracle and us just to sit back and and do nothing. When we pray God's kingdom come, we pray that God would send us and that we would have blessing as we go and tell people about Jesus. You know, we, um, when I, one preacher said about this, that we are kingdom agents. When God's, we pray for God's kingdom to come, and I pray for my neighbor, God says, okay, you go and tell them. And he says we are kingdom agents. We are the ones God sends to tell people. And he says that in God's kingdom, we're kingdom agents, not secret agents. There's no 007s in God's kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to go and we are to share our faith. So we pray, yes, for souls, but we must also be willing to be the ones to go and share our faith with those that we are praying for. So if you are praying for your neighbor, are you putting legs on those prayers by going around and inviting them over for coffee, taking opportunities to talk to them about Jesus? It's so important that we do those things. So in praying God's kingdom come, we are putting ourselves at his disposal and we are saying, Lord, as your ambassador, please use me for you in this fallen world. And all of us, wherever we are located, are strategically placed by God for his plans in spreading the kingdom. God has placed us where he has placed us in order that we can be an ambassador for him where we are. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come and we pray that he would save people's souls. But we pray too that he would give us the power and the words to share that faith that they would come to Jesus. When a rebel submits to King Jesus, God's kingdom comes. When a rebel submits to King Jesus, God's kingdom comes. And I wonder if any here tonight are a rebel against King Jesus and you need to turn back and bow the knee to him that God's kingdom would come so let's pray for this let's long for this let's let's pray that God would uh, deliver us from not caring let's pray that God would deliver us from perhaps loving our comfort and our reputation more than we love other people let's pray that God would send us to reach people with the gospel and that we would see revival in this place and that God would save many in this area. Seeing people converted should be the natural overflow of a healthy church where Christians are living for the king because healthy Christians share their faith. The final aspect of praying for God's kingdom, the third and final one, is a longing for the return of the king. 
So we've seen it. The first one is God's kingdom coming into our hearts. The second is rebels submitting to King Jesus. The third is that we would long for the return of the king. God's kingdom comes when we long for a return of the king. When we look at the news, when we suffer with ill health, when we face death and our loved ones pass away, when we battle against sin, don't we long for heaven? Don't we long for a place where these things will be no more, where they will have passed away? We long for an end of it all, don't we, and for Jesus to come. We believe in our doctrine statement in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means that he could return and come back at any moment. In Revelation chapter 6, the saints in heaven are also praying the same thing. They're crying out for God's kingdom to come. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, we read of the martyrs crying out, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. The saints in heaven are longing for God, for Jesus to return and for the kingdom to fully come. But if we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ on our doctrine statement, do we really believe that in our lives? Because I think that one of the biggest hindrances to longing for the kingdom to come is our own comfort and affluence, isn't it? We're so comfortable in our lives on earth that we never think that Christ could come back at any moment. Perhaps we we can lose that hunger for him to return. It's a challenge for us in our Western culture, isn't it? To think upon the coming of our saviour to take his people home. We perhaps don't think of it enough. I certainly don't think of it enough. And perhaps our our comfort is a hindrance to that and we need to think more on Jesus' return. Just in the same way that um, we, uh, I, I said when we looked at how to be thy name, we, we said if we meditate on God's name, on who he is, then it leads us to praise him. In the same way, to help us to think of his return, we should be meditating and thinking on heaven, meditating and thinking on the Jesus that we're going to see there. Because we will see Jesus face to face and we should long for that day. And when that longing is, uh, is gone, when that longing isn't there so much, then let us open our Bibles and let us read again of, this, of the Savior that we're going to see. Let us read again of the, the heaven that we're going toward and that we're going to be in one day. Let us long for Jesus to come. Let us pray from our hearts, your kingdom come. But there's a, a different side to this as well, though. Because when we're praying your kingdom come, and we're praying for Jesus to return, we're also praying for the end of the world. And perhaps for some of us, that's a difficult thing to pray, isn't it? We, we battled with this uh, last uh, year as we were going through uh, Revelation, or la- this year, sorry, as we were going through Revelation. We battled with the, the conflict, conflicting emotions of the return of the king. For on the one hand, we, we long for heaven, We long for heaven, but on the other hand, we know what that means for our loved ones that have not bowed the knee to King Jesus. And so we go back to the second point and we pray and we plead with God that those rebels in our families and our neighborhoods would bow the knee to Jesus. But when we pray your kingdom come, we pray for both and we pray that God would bring justice. We pray that God 
would judge the world, we pray that his kingdom would come fully. Perhaps when we pray your kingdom come and we think of the end and we, we pray that and our hearts ache over the lost, let us pray the second part of that. Let's pray that God's kingdom would come into their hearts, that they would bow the knee to Jesus. And let's be more zealous in our proclamation of the gospel to them. So how do we apply this practically? Because each week as we go through these petitions, we want to be practical. So how can we apply your kingdom come to our prayer lives? Well, first of all, as you pray for one another, let's pray that the kingdom would come more and more into our hearts. Let's pray that our love for Jesus would grow and that God would bring the holiness of his kingdom into the hearts of its citizens. Let's pray that God would bring the holiness of his kingdom into the hearts of its citizens, that we would be that salt and light in the world around us. Secondly, think of one or two people that you know that are not believers, perhaps a neighbor, perhaps a a member of your family. Uh, Pray that God would give you the opportunity to speak to them about the gospel. But let's go further and let's make a commitment to go and invite them to your house for dinner, perhaps. Perhaps have them over for coffee. Perhaps take them for lunch somewhere and and, and just get to know them. Then perhaps plan to invite them to uh, a Christmas service or something like that. Uh, one of the times in the new year we're going to do Christianity Explored. Maybe plan towards that. Pr- start praying now and meeting people, building up to that so you can invite them along. Let's pray that God's kingdom would come into the hearts of rebels, that they would bow the knee. But let's be willing to be the kingdom agents that go and tell them. Let's pray about situations in our communities and in our, uh, that, we c- that we can help with that would give opportunities to share the gospel. Let's pray for situations in our world where there are Christians, like in the Philippines that we prayed for earlier, that in the midst of disaster they could bring the gospel, that God's kingdom would come. Let's make sure when we pray for God's kingdom we realise that it's bigger than Pelsall and the West Midlands. Let's remember that we have a world, a whole world that needs the gospel. So let us be praying for our missionaries. There's notices on the back, there's updates that they send. Let's be reading them and praying for them that God's kingdom would come all over the world. And finally, let's meditate more on heaven. Let's listen again to those messages we heard uh, in Revelation. Let's read scripture passages and develop a perspective on heaven that will cause us to long for it and also cause us to live as we should with the things we have on earth, that we wouldn't be so comfortable here that we have no longing for there. Let us pray for God's kingdom to come. Let me pray before we sing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
that you have revealed your kingdom to us through your scriptures. We thank you that you have a people. We thank you, Father, that we are part of that kingdom. We thank you that we are the place in which you dwell. And we thank you that you have given us your rule and your blessing. We pray, our Father, that we would grow more like the King. We pray, our Father, that your kingdom would come more into our hearts. We pray that we would be a holy people. We pray that we would fight sin. We pray that we would love your word. We would love your people. I pray that as we go to work tomorrow, as we go and minister in our homes tomorrow, as we uh, go about our business and whatever we do, I pray, our Father, that your kingdom would come in our hearts and lives, that we would be salt and light in this world, that your name would be hallowed through us. Heavenly Father, we pray that your kingdom would come, that we would see people come to faith in the King Jesus. We pray for our different outreach activities that we do, that as your gospel is preached, your kingdom would come into the hearts of rebels, that they would bow the knee to to Jesus. I pray, our Father, uh, that each of us would consider people we can talk to and that we would pray and be bold to proclaim the gospel ourselves. We pray, Father, for the missions that we support as a church. Help us to pray for them effectively and intelligently, that we would see your kingdom come in different parts of the world, and that in your sovereign plan you would be pleased to use the money that we send to support them and the prayers that we give on their behalf to bring your kingdom to people there too. And Father, we pray also that your kingdom would come fully. We pray for a longing more and more for heaven. Help us, O Lord, to not be too comfortable with our lives here on earth, that we never think of heaven. And we do pray that as we consider the judgment to come, when your kingdom will be established, we pray that that would give us not just aching hearts, but zealous hearts, to share with them the good news of Jesus. Father, there are many here with sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, who do not know Christ. Father, we know the aching of the heart for these ones. And Father, we pray that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before we come to the Lord's table, let's stand together and we're going to sing, The Kingdom of God is Justice and Joy. Let's stand and sing.